next up in this second hour, this one is definitely for anyone who's uh, ever been fascinated by the advertising business and what a fascinating business it is. Or maybe you're a listener to Media at SAFM with Ashraf Garden. I suspect this one might tickle your fancy as well. Because this book called Wallop is all about an advertising phenomenon called Rightfoot Cell Trip and Making. And it's been written, put together, uh, carefully researched by Tony Young, husband. Um, and she is based in Prince Albert, so we got her on the line from there. Hi, Tony. Hi, Nancy. How is Prince Albert? Hot. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the Karoo. <laughs> La- yes, absolutely. Is it, a, is it a very fertile place from which to be writing? I and mean, were you living there since you've written this book? I was living here. I wrote the book. It took a year, and I've been here for 18 months. Okay. Well, congratulations. So it took a year. Interesting. Um, What I really want to know is how did it come about? I mean, I I know that you're uh, a journalist of uh, some substance. You've worked in many different places. But how did you get to be writing a book about advertising? Well, I quite honestly knew nothing about advertising. But when a former boss and friend of mine, Jane Raffaele, heard that I was moving to the Karoo, she was convinced that I'd starved to death because surely there's no work in the Karoo. (laughs) And um, dear Jane, always looking out for me, um, introduced me to Bob Wrightford, who is an old family friend of hers. And Bob had said to her he was looking for somebody to help him write a biography about his company, Wrightford, Siltrip and Macon. So Jane put the two of us together. We got on very well. He's a wonderful man. And, of course, I remembered all the ads that they had done. Once I started to speak to Bob and remembered the Foxy bus ads of David Kramer and the elephants in the desert and all these wonderful, nostalgic ads that came back to me. And uh, it, from there, it was natural. Yes, and, and is it Grasa? I never know how to say it. It's, it's either Grasa or Graca, but that famous the, yes, bottle yes, of wine. The wine. Oh, and some of the stories behind how these ads were made. I think that was probably the most fun for me, was hearing what went right and what went wrong behind the filming. This was very early days of advertising, and this was in the early 70s that they launched. And, of course, they didn't have the digital technology we have now. Um, so they couldn't fix things that went wrong. They yeah. had to redo them. Yeah, for better or worse, I guess everything took a hell of a lot longer it than did. it does now. As I say, for better or worse. Let's go back to the beginning, though, to write a biography about a company. Whew, it's quite a thing to do because it's not just one person. So they started when, in what year, and tell us about this trilogy. It always sounds like four, but in fact it's three because it's Wrightford, Celtrip, hyphenated, and Macon. So tell us about the start. They started in 76. They had all worked together before at, at another advertising agency in what was essentially a very conservative period in advertising, 60s and early 70s. And Bob was fired um, from this agency a bit of a mix-up, a fascinating story, which you'll have to read in the book, as to how this happened. But when he left the previous company, Roger Macon and Brian Siltrip said, well, if you go, we're going too. The three of them worked very well together, and they set up their own agency. What was remarkable at the time was that 76, as you recall, was a very turbulent time in South African mm-hmm. history. The economy was in trouble. Um, there were riots in the street. We had a lot of international companies divesting. It wasn't really a very smart time to start a business. They had no money. Uh, Bob really, though, always believed in himself and in these two men that he had worked with. He had a tremendous amount of courage and guts and passion and all of those things that, that entrepreneurs are required to have if they're going to start a business. And so they did, and they threw themselves in the deep end and launched what very quickly became South Africa's most successful ad agency, uh, later to merge with Ogilvy and Mather, and uh, 
still is. Yeah. Yes, as you say, a very conservative milieu that they found themselves in. But just going back to Bob and the the fact that he was fired, and it's funny, isn't it, how something that can happen in a person's life can just turn a, you know, just makes you take a completely different course, and it can be a good thing. In fact, the, the fact that he was fired is where the story kind of starts with a, Big words that he says here. They said I'd accepted a bribe. I was fired. Mm-hmm. Can, can you shrink that story for us? Sure. Well, what had happened was Bob, uh, when he joined this, this, this agency he worked at before, he didn't like the way things were run. He, was, he joined as a manager, and he wasn't happy with some of the suppliers. He believed that the supply chain could be stronger, could be more professional. And he, he literally got rid of or fired some of the suppliers that this agency had used over decades. This obviously didn't make the suppliers very happy, and he made several enemies there. And one of these suppliers uh, discovered by the by that Bob had received as a gift a carpet from another supplier, a supplier to whom Bob had awarded a new contract. And he went to Bob's bosses and said, you know, this guy's accepted a bribe. Mm. Unfortunately, that was the end of Bob. But he learned a lot from it. He said, in fact, that he didn't believe it was a bribe, at all, because he'd already awarded the contract to this person. But what it did for him was it made him incredibly vigilant about good business practice and about um, a, a culture, very strong culture in the company which exists today of, of total honesty. Yeah, well, a bit of a magic carpet, really, because it's what led him on to doing all Absolutely, sorts of other things. Absolutely, it was the catalyst. Yeah. I think he still got it somewhere yes, in the book. he does, <laughs> in his study. So, so he still got it. Now, as you described Bob Wrightford, he was very much the business brain? Yes, he was. Um, still is. Um, Bob's in his 80s now. Um, but the most remarkable man. He, you know, he, he decided from a very early age that he grew up in a very poor home and decided from from a very early age that money was important. He was embarrassed by his circumstances, and he's very honest about that. And where he had friends at school who went off to be CAs, he said he was impatient, too impatient to go through university. And so he launched himself into a career really unwittingly. He didn't have a clue about advertising. He had no intention of going into advertising, but it was a route to make money, and he and he was just brilliant at it. Tell us about the other two. I'm looking at their, their hugely wide grins on the cover of this, which is it, it's a hell of a 70s. What did you say, 76? So. Yes, I mean, yeah. the, it's the hair, it's the scarf around the neck. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the other two. Tell us a little bit about um, Cell Trip. Brian, um, very, he was a creative. He was a creative head. A, exactly as you imagine creatives to be. Um, could be very sulky, temperamental, incredibly hard-working. People who worked for him were expected to work 36-hour shifts non-stop because he himself did that. But he very much led from the front. He believed in that. He believed that the only way to to, 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 to really produce a good product was to lead and to, to show to your, your team what could be done. But an incredibly creative brain. Um, had had worked in London for a while, learned a lot in London. And, of course, he was in London in the 60s in Carnaby Street, hence the fashion brought all of that back to South Africa. But, um, yeah, very, very clever man. Mm. And Bob gives him a lot of credit, as do many of his colleagues who worked with him. Yes, it's difficult to be creative on your own. I suppose it was the sort of the, um, what they all did, 
you know, within within their circle, how it, you know their creativity sort of was, was allowed to blossom. And Roger Macon, the dear Roger Macon, tell us a little bit about him. Well, I think that exactly what you've just said is that Roger and Brian worked incredibly well together. And Roger, he he was a wordsmith. He he was a, a Oxford grad, um, very smart man. Um, really a journalist. He started out in journalism but decided he didn't enjoy journalism. But he's very pedantic about language, has a lovely turn of phrase. And he and and Brian just worked well together. They were very honest with each other. They bounced ideas off each other. And I think in a creative environment, obviously, that's vital. And Bob was the driver. So Bob drove them and the two of them, they, they said straight out, they played. They had a lot of fun. And Bob was the man who kept the reins on the whole thing. Just going back, there's a wonderful quote by Roger on one of the pages here, which I will find in a minute, because he has a stutter, and there's a rather <laughs> wonderful, rather, uh, but I'll find it in just a minute, though you probably know it off the top it's of your Fred head. It's and March, yes. yes. Exactly. Do, you tell, do you know it? He was at lunch um, with a very important client. In fact, I, it was one of the fuel companies, as I recall, and the big boss was called Fred. Um, but they called each other by first names. They had a very good relationship with their clients. And, you know, Roger stuttered, as, as you mentioned. And um, he asked somebody to pass the butter. And he said, Fred, could you p- p- please pass the butter? And the guy said, it's Marge. And he said, oh, sorry, could you pass the butter, Marge? But, of course, said with a stutter. And, and to read it, it's hilarious. But Roger has a fantastic sense of humor, very dry, um, and plays up that stutter, you know. He, uh, he, he's, he's got a wonderful sense of humour. Let's go back to the Conservative 76, the era where, you know, everything was fairly predictable. Mm-hmm. In what way did, did they sit down and say, OK, this is how we're going to play it? I think right from the beginning, um, Bob, Bob's unique characteristic is that he recognises opportunity long before most other people do and still does. And Bob looked at what was happening in the country and thought where everybody else was considering packing for Perth. Bob was looking at this thinking there are changes coming that we could take advantage of. The advertising industry at the time, as I mentioned, was very staid, very conservative, pretty much stuck in a rut. This was just before television. But Bob saw that there were changes coming, and he believed that there was a whole untapped market, the black market, which I have to say they were the first agency to tap into that market. And he saw that up front and said to these guys, here's an opportunity for us. We're very small. There, were just, there was just the three of them with a few extra help, helpers right at the beginning. And, um, and let's, let's see what we can do. He also was, was very good at making and maintaining client relationships. And this was something agencies tended not to do then. They would get a brief from a client, go off and do it and deliver Bob went to the agency, sat with them, involved them in the creative process, and very often, if he disagreed with a client or if a client disagreed with him, he would fire them. He had a tremendous amount of guts, uh, and he fired two of the biggest clients you can imagine, Sun International and Unilever, because they didn't agree with the creative he came up with. But in the end, it worked. Yeah, well, that's a, a brave thing to Extreme. do. I mean, even now, or probably more. I don't think you know. they'd do it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, times are a bit tight. Yeah. Know. Tapping into the black market then, I think they did that quite literally I and mean, physically. They did. Uh, one of the other things that Bob really believed when is if you have a client, you had to immerse yourself in the client's business. There's no point going into his office, sitting in a in a skyscraper somewhere, getting a brief from a client and going away and producing an ad for something that you had no experience of. And, you know, our societies were very divided at the time, um, white and black, and 
he knew. He said there's no way three white guys can understand what's going on in a black market. And his directives to all his staff was the only way you can get to know your market is to get in there and see for yourself to the extent that they, they would have to go on factory tours. They would have to get to know every step of a manufacturing process. They hired people, prominent people within the black industry, within the black market, within the creative world, to, to work with them and to take them into townships, which in those days seems bizarre now, but in those days was unheard of. You know, white people just doesn't go into black townships. And they went in, they filmed people, they went to their homes, they had dinner with them. They spent time in Shabins, and in that way they really immersed themselves in the marketplace that they were going to be advertising to, and that worked for them. Talking to Tony Young, husband, she's talking about the book called Wallop, an advertising phenomenon called Wrightford Soul Trip and Making. And in a minute, we're going to hear a little bit more. Hopefully, you'll stay with us, Tony. I thought we yes, might uh, dive into some of the ad campaigns themselves. You mentioned a couple of them that, to find out how they were. And, you know, primarily what's to be learned from this book, because right. aside from it being a sort of a trip down memory lane, advertising wise, sure. you know, what's to be learned. So stay with us. Literature. And what we're talking now about now here on SFM Literature is we're talking about the book called Wallop, which is all about an advertising phenomenon called Wrightford Soul Trip and Making. Tony Young husband on the line all the way from uh, very hot, dry, sunny Prince Albert. Um, Tony, the, you mentioned a couple of the ad campaigns there. I think the Foxy bus, certainly there'll be a lot of people who can remember it. Um, there was the city golf. Some of the ones that you thought were, were really outstanding. Well, I think the whole Folksy, the whole Volkswagen campaign, is remarkable. It, it filled an entire chapter in the book, and simply, for, for, well, for many reasons. One, the, the client relationship they had with Volkswagen. Um, just out of interest, they still have that um, that client 50 years on. But mm-hmm. it was how they how they captured that client, how they got that client, and how they held on to it is is a fascinating part of the book. Secondly, the ads they made, they were very courageous, they were very brave, they were real maverick stuff, stuff that hadn't been done before. You'll, you'll recall that David Kramer was very much part of these ads for, for several years, and David really um, made those Foxy bus ads. You know, no one, no one will forget them. So yeah. those, those, the Foxy bus ads were particularly enjoyable for me. I think the humor in them. David is such an iconic South African character. He created that character around the Foxy bus. And here he is, pictures of him looking extraordinarily young, <laughs> riding a bicycle and all sorts of things. In fact, the book is, is, is filled with an amazing collection of photographs. Somebody has done a lot of archive searching here. Putting together all these pics, who, whose role was that? It was people at the agency, guys mm-hmm. who are still at the agency. The agency, Ogilvy, which became, as I mentioned, became Ogilvy and Mather, they merged. Um, they have been tremendously supportive of this book, and, um, and they, a lot of their staff were utilised in putting the book together. Well, a lot of their staff could probably sue them for some of the pictures that are in here. Fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> those are retired staff. <laughs> but you mentioned the Foxy bus. There's also um, the City Golf. Is it the City Golf? The City the Golf City was Golf. an incredible story. I mean, mm. that's probably, I don't know if it's ever been repeated, but it's, it's one of the, the, the first, certainly the first time that I'm aware of where an agency created a car. Now, this sounds very strange, but what had happened was Germany had decided to withdraw um, the Gulf in South Africa, the, the Gulf that existed at the time, because they wanted to upgrade and come out with a smarter, more expensive model. South African Volkswagen felt they couldn't afford to do this because they didn't, they didn't have an entry-level car. 
there were a lot of discussions between um, Folk CSA and, and the agency. And the agency said to them, we think we can come up with a car that will satisfy the entry-level market, won't be too expensive, and will be sexy enough to attract the people that you want to buy this car. And they did. And it's quite a remarkable story. The City Golf is essentially an agency invention. Extraordinary. I'm looking at the chapter. It says, bland car, bland name, low price, make it sell. Yep. <laughs> Somehow they just did it. Most importantly of all, what's to be learned here from the advertising profession now, which we hear a huge amount on, on media at SAFM all over. You know, the advertising brigade are sort of in a world of their own. What can we learn? Somebody described this book or the, the passion of these guys as being hugely contagious, sort of infectious. Their enthusiasm, their passion, their, their just drive for the whole thing is very infectious. What do you think the, today's advertising profession can learn from it? I had a lot of interviews with uh, people who are at Ogilvy now and people who, in fact, have been there the whole time from the days of Bob and, and, and Roger and, and Brian and are still there. And Although the, the industry has changed dramatically, um, it's, it's a lot more, funny enough, it's become a lot more conservative in terms of what clients expect, the way clients watch, what they do, spending. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot more budget control. Um, and, but, but I think that and what people now can too. learn is, is that you can't get anything right unless you really believe in yourself and throw an enormous amount of passion into it. And that's what they did. They had, they really believed in what they did. And unfortunately today I think that we, because there's so many rules and regulations and laws and restrictions that people are a little bit hesitant sometimes to be entrepreneurial, to be brave, to be courageous. But if you read this book and you read the lessons that they've left behind, the legacy they've left, which the people at Ogilvy will tell you are still there and there's that culture still exists in Ogilvy, which I think is probably one of the reasons why they're still such a huge and award-winning agency. But if you read those, I think that if you're going into this industry, there's an enormous amount you can take with you. Mm, in fact, the, the last line, or nearly the last line, says, what they've given us is a kind of legacy of possibility, the belief that we can. Yep. And they did. They did. <laughs> they did. Remarkable men. Really great guys. And you obviously enjoyed it, too. I did. I had lots of fun. It was very frustrating sometimes because, you know, nostalgia casts this wonderful glow on things and often memory... Memory can be can be different for everybody, so it was quite difficult sometimes in in correlating the, the stories and the memories and getting them all together. But um, but the behind the scenes stories of how the ads were made and what went on in the industry um, had me laughing for a full year. It was great fun. I can't believe I didn't ask you, Wallop. Yes. Why? Why the title? Um, I think you know I didn't come up with the title. The the three of them did. And I think it was a case of they felt that they really made an impact. It was, at the time, they really <laughs> took this conservative, staid industry and gave it a big smack in the kisser. Well, there you go. That's it. it sums it up perfectly. Tony Young, husband, thank you very much. Take thank care. you so much, Thanks Nancy. a lot. Bye-bye. Wallop, an advertising phenomenon called Rightford Sell Trip and Making, and it's published by Tafelberg. And we were talking to Tony Young, husband.